Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 368th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Coming to you on Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting in this our eighth year across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment, the entertainment capital of the world. Speaking of the entertainment capital of the world, I went to a, um, a rehearsal the other night for a 360-degree immersive show, and uh, it was just a closed rehearsal with a few of us there, and uh, it was players from Pink Floyd, from Jane's Addiction, from Peter Gabriel, from Dr. Dre, a whole bunch of players, some of the best players on the planet, and it was mind-blowing. It was fantastic. So this is the capital, the entertainment capital of the world. Now, tomorrow, nearly everyone in the US takes off about midday, and some 50 million people are taking to the road, and 4 million are catching planes to celebrate Thanksgiving with friends and family. So I'd like to wish everyone a fabulous Thanksgiving. And we're sharing it with a, a wonderful group of LA friends who are really pretty much family. So we're looking forward to a fantastic day. So drive and fly safe and remember to catch Uber or Lyft and certainly don't drink and drive. So make me a promise. Because Thanksgiving is such a wonderful holiday, I want to read to you an amazing letter written by an 86-year-old to her bank manager. And the moral of this story is don't piss off old people. Now, elderly people may seem frail, but messing with them is never a good idea. So there, their bodies are aged, their minds are still sharp as a whip and their lengthy life experience gives them an upper hand in many situations. So this very clever letter was sent to a bank manager by an 86-year-old woman after her check bounced. Now, this letter is sure to bring a smile to your face and serve as a reminder that messing with old, older people is a very mad, bad move. So here's the full letter. Dear Sir, I'm writing to thank you for bouncing my check with which I endeavoured to pay my plumber last month. By my calculations, three nanoseconds elapsed between his presenting the cheque and the arrival in my account of the funds needed to honour it. I refer, of course, to the automatic monthly deposit of my entire pension, an arrangement which I admit has been in place for only 18 years. You are to be commended for seizing that brief window of opportunity and also for debiting my account $30 by way of penalty for the inconvenience caused to your bank. My thankfulness springs from the manner in which this incident has caused me to think my errant financial ways. I noticed that whereas I personally answer your telephone calls and letters, when I try to contact you, I'm confronted by the impersonal, overcharging, pre-recorded, faceless entity which your bank has become. From now on, I, 
like you, choose only to deal with a flesh and blood person at your bank. My mortgage and loans repayments will therefore and hereafter no longer be automatic, but will arrive at your bank by check, personally addressed and confidentially sent to an employee at your bank whom you must nominate. Now, be aware that's an offence under the Postal Act for any other person to open such an envelope. So please find attached an application contact which I require your chosen employee to complete. I'm sorry that it runs to eight pages, but in order that I know as much as possible about him and her as your bank knows about me, there simply isn't an alternative. Please note that all copies of his or her medical history must be countersigned by a notary public and the mandatory details of his or her financial situation, such as income debts, assets and liabilities, must be accompanied by documented proof. In due course, at my convenience, I will issue your employee with a PIN number, which he or she must quote in all dealings with me. I regret that it can't be longer than 20, I regret that it can't be shorter than 28 digits, but again, I've modelled it on the number of button presses required of me to access my account balance on your phone bank service. As they say, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So let me level the playing field even further. When you call me, press buttons as follows. Immediately after dialing, press the star button for English. Make, press one to make an appointment to see me. Press two to query a missing payment. Press three to transfer the call to my living room in case I am there. Press four to transfer the call to my bedroom in case I'm sleeping. Press five to transfer the call to my toilet in case I am attending to nature. Press six to transfer the call to my mobile phone if I'm not at home. Press seven to leave a message on my computer. A password to access my computer is required. Password will be communicated to you at a later date to that authorised contact mentioned earlier. Press 8 to return to the main menu and to listen to options 1 through 9. Option 9. Press 9 to make a general complaint or inquiry. The contact will then be put on hold pending the attention of my automated answering service. Press 10. This is my second reminder to press star for English. Now, while this may on occasion involve a lengthy wait, Uplifting music will play for the duration of the call. Regrettably, but again following your example, I must also levy an establishment fee to cover the setting up of this new arrangement. So may I wish you a happy, if ever so slightly less prosperous, new year. Your humble client. And remember, don't make old people mad. We don't like being old in the first place. So it takes very little to piss us off. I think that is absolutely brilliant. I would love to have the guts to write that to my bank. I'm with Chase. I've had so many problems with Chase over the last week that um, 
you've got to think twice about why you deal with these bastards. The sooner that we get um, blockchain-based banks, the better. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about 1.75 million daily subscribers, which is a hell of a lot. It takes just 30 seconds to read, and every day we tackle a different subject. Could be advances in medicine to new apps, to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, every single thing that is topical at the time. And tomorrow's newsletter, so if you get on now, go to bobpritchard.com and enrol for the newsletter. Tomorrow's newsletter is about 3D printing and how it is disrupting construction. The buildings they're building with 3D uh, printing of concrete are unbelievable. So to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology and ensure that you're able to complete, compete in this ever-competitive world, you've got to get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. So go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol. Now, have you watched the Weather Channel lately? I stopped watching it because it's as boring as batshit. And as I live in Los Angeles, I don't care what the weather's like in Podunk, Iowa. Couldn't care less. I know it's beautiful here. It's beautiful here every day. Well, the Weather Channel matters again thanks to pulse-quickening, immersive, mixed-reality reporting that covers everything from disasters to college football. Under new ownership since March, the Weather Channel's leveraged its growing roster of tech partners to give those of you who can't get enough of precipitation, temperature, humidity, sunshine, wind velocity, air quality and phenomena such as fog, frost and hailstorms, if you're not getting enough of all that shit, then now you get the sensationalist coverage you deserve. And just this week, the Weather Channel showed off its new sports reporting. Now the Weather Channel's back and people across the country are cancelling Netflix and Hulu to watch the Weather Channel. New owner, comedian Byron Allen, set out to revitalise the channel by turning weather into edge-of-your-seat entertainment experience instead of a chore. All that's missing are the lasers. So last September, the Weather Channel's immersive live coverage of Hurricane Florence's storm surge was so surprisingly exciting that it went viral and the sales of flippers and snorkels went through the roof. People a thousand miles away began putting sandbags around their house. It was extraordinary. So the Weather Channel now uses technology from partners IBM and the Future Group, which make the Unreal Engine that powers many video games, to create immersive mixed reality experiences to engage viewers with the Weather Channel. The channel's also produced simulations of tornadoes and wildfires that look more like a high-budget disaster flick than a weather forecast. Football dominates American TV viewership, so the Weather Channel's new mixed reality forecasts will help viewers experience the elements their favourite athletes have to endure when playing in different conditions. Bloody fascinating stuff, isn't it? The company plans to use mixed reality for 80% of its reporting by 2020. And in early 2019, the company plans to roll out another type of technology, mixed reality reality weather time lapses. God. However, 
Of course, it wouldn't be hard for the Weather Channel to be better than most of the crap on other free-to-air and cable channels that we get subjected to. I've got a great spot after the break. My guest after a very short break is Cheryl Duffy, and she's funny. And she's the author of the number one bestseller, The Divorce Tango. And she's a CDC certified divorce coach. And I didn't ever know that it was such a thing, but you'll find out a hell of a lot during this interview. Entrepreneurs and business executives have a much higher divorce rate than the community average. So I thought that all of us could learn a little something from Cheryl. And I like her. She's fun. This is Bob Pritchard broadcasting across the world this week from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And I'll be back in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where over the past eight years, we've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. I think we're up at around 400 interviews at the moment. And we talk about the services they provide, the challenges that they've faced, what got them into the business that they're in. And we try to find out underneath it all what it is that makes them tick. And, uh, you know, we usually talk about the fact that all business executives and entrepreneurs face the same issues and challenges. And the 2% that are successful simply handle those um challenges better than others. The major reason that businesses fail is not because they haven't got a good project or because they haven't got the money. It's usually because they are not good at managing a new business and it's very difficult. But I was thinking about it and it occurred to me that most business executives and entrepreneurs also have something else in common. Divorce. (laughs) According to the Financial Times, business executives have a much higher divorce rate than the average. And according to Inc. magazine, the divorce rate among entrepreneurs is somewhere north of 60%. 
Now, I think the average in America is about 50. So um, if you're a business exec or an entrepreneur, you're probably going to be up around 60. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk to a divorce coach. I didn't know that you needed a divorce coach. I've been married six times and I'm pretty good at it without a divorce coach. But Cheryl Duffy is the author of number one bestseller, The Divorce Tango, and she's a CDC certified divorce coach. Now, as I said, I'm not quite sure what that does, but we'll find out. Now, Cheryl became a divorce coach after breaking up from a 19-year marriage. I've been married for 19 years, six different wives, but 19 years. <laughs> and uh, she was having trouble adjusting to a new environment, a situation that I think many people have trouble contending with. Cheryl now helps others who have been through their divorce journey and those post-divorce divorcees unable to let go of their old life and move on. So I thought she'd be able to give you advice on how to handle your divorce. And if you're listening to this show and you're not divorced and you're an executive or an entrepreneur, I'd still listen because if you're like most of us, it probably won't be long before you need it. <laughs> Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Hi, Bob. How are you going? I'm going really well. So... How did you come up with the name Divorce Tango? You just sort of woke up in the middle of the night one night and go, ah, ah, Divorce Tango, that's it, it's perfect. How'd you do it? Um, well, it was with some help of a publisher, but when I was describing that a divorce is like an emotional charged dance where you just feel like you're pulled from pillar to post, um, it just seemed to fit to uh, call the book The Divorce Tango. Why didn't you call it Divorce Heavyweight Title Fight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, it would have been a similar app, app description, wouldn't it? <laughs> okay, so firstly, what the hell is a divorce coach? Okay, a divorce coach, and I do get asked this very often because it's not commonly known, but a divorce coach is very future-focused, so they help you prepare and support you emotionally through divorce and also help you visualize what you like, want your life to look like so you can set goals and put a plan in place uh, to make that happen. So unlike a psychologist, they're past focus and look at some of the traumas you've had in your life that might be contributing to your emotional issues. Um, and unlike a lawyer who is presently focused on helping you through the legalities of divorce, your divorce coach really becomes your partner so that they can support you emotionally. So it does minimise your cost of divorce if you have someone that can help you do that and, and be with you through the whole process. Because just imagine if you were sitting in the lawyer's office telling them all about all your emotional issues while their meter's ticking. You know, you're far better off to only be referred to the professionals as and when required. Yeah, interesting. I don't, I don't trust lawyers. I, I have this sneaking suspicion that um, the two lawyers, the one representing the two parties, sort of get together in the back room and say, hey, why don't we do this sort of a deal? And, um, you know, we'll get it over with fairly quickly and we'll just 
split what we what falls out. I'm, I'm sure it's <laughs> a giant con with these divorce lawyers. Um, in most cases, I'm not saying the big ones, but in most cases, um, why wouldn't you just give out phone numbers to people like Tinder and <laughs> all those? Uh, <laughs> Matchmaking people. Isn't that the best thing they can do? You know, if you fall off the horse, get back on it or whatever that saying is? No, because at that time, particularly people that have been left, they're heartbroken. They really can't even imagine being with somebody else. Mm. So, you know, I didn't date for seven years. Like, I was just too frightened of getting hurt again. And to be honest, I still love my ex for like a good five years after he left. So... You're not in that mental state to even consider being with someone else. Well, that's my experience. You being divorced six times mustn't have been yours. <laughs> <laughs> so, why did you become a divorce coach? So you you um you your marriage okay. is over. It's taken you seven years to to sort of overcome that. Um, I think, I guess one thing about being a divorce coach, it, it's an easy way to meet single men, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what my daughter said. <laughs> no. Um, for me, the reason I became a divorce coach is because I feel I wasted all those years just, you know, being so emotionally paralyzed. I was comfort eating, so it was just a form of escapism, really to try and comfort myself but it's a very destructive way self-destructive way and and as you plow on more and more weight your self-loathing just sort of takes hold and you're not really feeling very good about yourself so it doesn't make for a very good tinder profile picture and basically i just wanted to help other people so i get lots of people ask my advice and i decided to write the book as a guide um, to help others through divorce because there wasn't really anything out there. And so I interviewed, I, it's got my story in there, but I also interviewed other divorcees on their challenges and the advice they would give and also interviewing lawyers, psychologists and counsellors. Um, and it was just a culmination of advice really to help people through and just to show them the transformation that I had had. What was your background? Um, I was an Asia-Pacific lead with a global IT company. So I was managing lots of transformation programs, um, delivering to tight deadlines, um, driving change. But I can tell you now, the, the hardest change I've ever managed in my life was my divorce and rebuilding my life. Mm. Um, so are most of your clients men or women? I get both. So it's predominantly the person that's been left because they feel quite blindsided and just overwhelmed on where to start with their divorce journey. Is and I also... Is that sorry? predominantly men or women that get left? Or is it pretty even? Or yeah. um, it's pretty even. Um, I would say 50% of my clients are men, 50% are women. Yeah. people. Sorry, go on. It's just the people that get left that, that tend to come to me because I've been through the same thing, um, so they feel that I, I'm able to help them. Um, and plus the people that have left who do the leaving, they've already prepared themselves 12 months before they actually leave um, mentally that, and emotionally that their marriage is over. 
so they've already started planning their future and seeing that they'll have a happier future if they make change in their life and leave. So they don't actually need that emotional support and help because a lot of them already have made that decision and come to terms that the marriage is over. But also they can also feel um, that, you know, they're quite relieved to be able to get out of the marriage. Um, so it's the one that gets left that's sort of shell-shocked um, half of the time. So yeah. they take a lot longer to get over it. I guess being in Los Angeles, um, most of the people that we meet that are divorced um, seem to be middle-aged men who leave their long-suffering wife for a 12-year-old. You know, um, <laughs> is that yeah, common everywhere? Common. Or is that is that common everywhere? Or is that just common here? No, it's everywhere. Is it? Yeah, the average marriage lasts in Australia anyway. You know, 12, 13 years, right. and it's usually right. in in their forties. They're, they're sort of going through a bit of a midlife crisis, and this is men and women who think. Life's passing them by. There's no excitement anymore. And so a lot of them do start another life in parallel. Um, so they do start up relationships um, outside of the marriage. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult because then that, that causes a lot of heartache for the one being left because then they're feeling they weren't, they weren't good enough, they weren't, you know, worthy. So it really affects their self-esteem. Yeah, is a midlife crisis um, usually after the kids leave or? No, not necessarily because our children were 12 and 15 um, and there's lots of cases where there's divorces where the small children that are, that are impacted. Um, so it, it's not generally a, you know, the children leaving and they've become empty nesters. It's a case of they've reached a, a point of time in their life where they, they just feel life slipping past them and that's why it's in their 40s that they generally um, feel that way um, and then make the move. Yeah, I guess in cases where the, um, I guess in particular where the wife um, is probably not working, um, that sort of feeling that you're not achieving what you can achieve is much more difficult for her because she doesn't have an income where the, the husband's probably off there being a successful big shot and has the means to move on. Yes, well, uh, if the woman doesn't have a job, definitely there's that financial impact. Yeah. Um, so some people, um, if they're both working, then they're, you know, they're able to sort of get through it, but it's, it's still very, very difficult because your lifestyle is going from a two-income family down to one. Um, and as you say, for the, the women that get left, and particularly if they're having small children to look after, and it's difficult to get out there, get a career going, and having the support to have the children looked after. So it's a very, very difficult time, so financially and emotionally. So being a divorce coach is really like being a, I guess, a psychoanalyst or something? Um, not so much a psychoanalyst, but um, emotional support to help them through, to try and help them have that, build that resilience and be strong to get through it 
and helping them move from a negative mindset to a positive one because if you allow that negative mindset to take hold, which it did with me, um, then you can just sort of spiral downwards and it's very hard to get out of that. So you need to sort of be looking towards the future, not keep looking at the past thinking, oh, if only I did this or if I did that. You've got to just face the fact that it's over accept it because that will help you then move on how do you convince somebody I, I guess if you were walked out on you would think that it's your fault and you're Absolutely. you're sort of not worthy and therefore you start going through this thing about um, you know feeling insecure and feeling like a failure how do you Absolutely. how do you overcome that is that just by giving them encouragement or you wouldn't think that would be enough? Well, you've got to sort of help them understand the, the grief process and also looking at the, their strengths, their achievements that they've had throughout their life and how they've handled crises previously and get them to tap into that strength and be able to help them just keep looking forward and not keep looking back so that they can try to visualise what they'd like their future to look like so that they can then start to rebuild and, and put those steps in place to get there. Um, it, it's very, very difficult if, if your mind is very negative and you don't have that self-confidence and self-esteem. So it's all about, you know, getting them to rebuild that, that self-confidence and knowing their full worth that, you know, in time... Uh, someone else who's more worthy of them, to be honest with you, um, is going to give them, you know, happiness again and be loved again. So you have to always think that these types of things help you to move forward and you actually end up with a better life. <coughs> is, it, is it that people grow apart or is it just that it gets stale? What's the most... Well, <clears throat> well, it is a bit of both, to be honest with you. <clears throat> Sorry. That's all right. Um, it gets stale because it's, you know, there's no excitement, as I was saying before. So it's very, very important to ensure that you maintain intimacy, have date nights, a couple of nights per month. You've got to keep that excitement happening or else it does become very mundane. <clears throat> So, in able to do that, you've got to be able to balance your life. So, it's not always just about the kids. It's not always about work. But you've got to sort of make sure you put some time aside to be there for each other and have that couple's time. I can tell you kids are a, a passion killer. Um, you know, you can be very tired and stressed um, and stressed from work. You can have a very sort of um, high-powered job that really, you know, knocks it out of you for having any energy for anything else. So it's about having that balance and trying to make sure the needs of you as a couple um, are a priority as well yeah. and try and keep that excitement happening. With young kids, that's difficult. And a lot of people think, that I guess, that yeah. kids are going to keep them together rather than force them apart. But I guess quite often the opposite is true. Yeah, and people will stay together for the kids sometimes and then they'll just be planning their exit later. So they'll be thinking, well, once 
you know, little Johnny's going through finishing off their exams at the end of the year, um, that's when I'll, I'll make my exit. And that's exactly what happened to me. So they do sort of think, okay, they don't want to impact in um, sort of crucial times for the children, but it's never a good time to leave, but they try to minimise um, the impact where possible. Yeah. I'm really surprised that it's sort of 50-50. I would have thought that men left women a lot more often than women left men, but that's obviously not correct. <clears throat> no, it's not 50-50 of how many men or women leave. That's the, the ratio of my clients. Oh, right. But, okay. um, yes, predominantly I would say it is men that leave more so. And a woman does tend to try to keep the family together. Um, now, that's not in all cases, um, but it tends to be that the man does move far quicker. And the man tends to um, leave when there's a, a better option out there as well. It's Women can sort of survive on their own a lot, lot better than men do. Men tend to need to have a partner quite quickly afterwards. And I'm not saying all men, but of the men that's, um, that... I've sort of seen who do leave, they tend to need to have someone to go to. So they don't tend to go out and be a bachelor for a while, setting up house for themselves and being on their own um, for very long at all. So how often does somebody come to you and uh, sort of on the first meeting you think, Jesus, you're a miserable bastard. I'm not surprised you can't have wanted a divorce. How often does that happen? Well, their mental state when they come to me is pretty low, so they're not going to be very jolly and happy in the barrel of laughs, mm. but they, they're going through something that's really, really difficult, so I obviously take that into consideration. Um, but, you know, there are going to be people that, you know, may have, quirks that you know may not suit everybody um but everyone's everyone's going to sort of be for like good for someone so you know they'll find love again so it's not a case of thinking oh my gosh these people haven't got a chance of meeting someone again because i don't think that's that's the case i just think they're just going through a very very tough time and so they're very very low in how they feel about themselves so they're not really portraying themselves in a very good light when they, by the time they come to me. Mm. They're pretty shattered. You're obviously a very nice person because I meet a lot of people that I think, how the hell could anybody possibly put up with this creep? <laughs> well, I can empathise with some people when they, <laughs> they tell me some of their stories, of course. But um, there's always two sides to a story, I'm sure. So... Um, yeah, just have to try and get through it and try not to keep sort of looking back at, you know, the past. Um, so even when they, a lot of things of holding you back from moving on is keep looking back at all of the happy memories that you had. And that that is not very good because then you keep pining for your old life, wishing you could turn the clock back. Whereas if you try to focus on why you got to where you ended up, and see the deterioration over at least 12 months, then you can come to the terms of, yeah, it, you know, it was destined to end <clears throat> and I'm better off 
you know, meeting someone new and creating a new life for myself. Now, I'm not saying that you can only be happy if you meet someone else. To me, you're better off to create a happy life and then if you meet someone else, that's an added bonus. But there's plenty of people out there that think, oh, I can only be happy if I'm with someone or meet someone who's going to love me. And that's a recipe for disaster because then once that person leaves, <coughs> you'll you're, you're in a bigger mess. You'll end up, exactly, yeah. Yeah, if you don't love yourself, nobody else is going to love you. You've got to say so you've got to Absolutely. have self-confidence. Yeah. So, so you're really an analyst. <laughs> Not really. It's sort of just trying to help them be the best they can be and know that they're worth you know, being their best potential at not just love but also whatever they want to achieve in their life because let's face it, when you're married, sometimes you don't get to do all the things that you you would have liked to have done in life. You know, I've done some amazing things since being divorced. Um, So, like, I've, I've volunteered overseas, which I wouldn't have been able to do when I was married. I've raced my car on a racetrack. There's so many different things that when you get divorced you know, you can actually start doing things that you never never thought you would get to do and you always had it on your bucket list. So sometimes it can be, you know, a great release that now you're, you've got this blank canvas that you can create the life that you really want. That's a good point. Now, how many people that come and see you become dependent on you? You know, they, they need you to be their best friend because you're the one who's getting them through all this. How many people sort of become dependent on you? Well, they depend on me to help them rebuild their life, but then, you know, they don't sort of then sort of think of me as their, their best friend. They think of me as someone who can help them, and once that help's not required any longer, then they're, and they've rebuilt their self-confidence, they've rebuilt their life, um, to how they would like it to be, then there, there's no need for me then to be in their life. They, you know, it's like, you know, a, a bird in a nest. They can sort of be pushed out now to say, okay, you, you, you're okay now, off you go. Okay, I'm sitting on the couch with my wife and my wife turns around to me and says, I don't want to be here anymore. I want a divorce. What? What do you do? What are the things that you do when that happens to you? Apart from go to the cupboard and get another bottle of wine out. What else do you do? Or <laughs> <All> the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> you, you turn to chocolate. See, I think you would have been better off with wine. <laughs> but God, what, Probably. <laughs> what are the, what well, are the I, five I, things, for example, that you, you would do when somebody says, I want out of here? Well, it's very, very important, number one, to know your current financial position. So even before you go and have a consultation with a lawyer, gather up all of your your known assets, the debts that you have, and the current income. Right. Collect all of that information so you've got that to be able to take to a lawyer. That's very important because that's what's going to be then used. You've got to then, you know, number two, go and get that legal advice so that you can understand what your entitlements are before you agree to anything with your ex. That's important. And then, you know, number three, you can suggest marriage counselling to see if you can make it work, but be very aware that if 
if it's only you that's wanting to make it work, you'll be wasting your time, to be honest with you. It's got to be the two of you that want to make it work. Okay. So marriage okay. counselling only works if the two of you want to make it make it work. And then number four, don't move out of the house. So your ex who's wanting to leave might be very, very eager to get the house sold because they want the money. You don't want to incur any increased financial burden by renting elsewhere whilst the legal process is happening. Just await legal advice on your entitlement before you make any drastic decisions. And then number five, um, negotiate to achieve a better outcome. So work, like be cooperative in agreeing to an outcome rather than dragging it out, seeking more than what you're entitled to. Of course you want it to be fair. Of course you want to have what your your lawyer advises you're entitled to. But I've, I've had cases where people are, wanting to get revenge because their partner has cheated, so I'm not going to let them get anything. I'd prefer the lawyers to get it all. You know, it's just going to impact your future financial security if you don't talk about having a, a fair outcome for both of you and get it done a lot quicker and a lot at a lot lower cost because you're not going to and froing between the two lawyers and the, the cost, I've, I've seen people rack up a $100,000 legal bill, which is absolutely crazy. Um, so you're better off to be able to negotiate um, cooperatively uh, once you've got your legal advice so that you both have a good outcome. What do you do if, um, say, the husband wants a divorce and he says, well, I'm not moving out of the house, you need to go. And the wife says, well, I'm not going, I'm staying. Does that happen? Yes. So they basically move into separate bedrooms, um, but they do they do stay in the same house because sometimes financially neither of them are in a position to be able to go out and rent anywhere. So they can, you know, sign a document to say that they're separated but living under the same roof because you can't get divorced, like a legal divorce, until 12 months separation has occurred. Uh, this is in Australia. Uh, so basically, if you can get them to sign, <clears throat> to say, okay, we're moving into separate bedrooms and until we get through the whole uh, legal process where we're going to be divorcing um, in 12 months' time, if you've got that, then at least when, once you are ready, then you will be able to uh, get the divorce finalised as, as, you know, as soon as that time frame has been met. So, so, one the, so one of the first things you should do is go to go to a divorce lawyer. Now, a divorce lawyer, right? Not just a regular lawyer, or yeah, a family law a family, lawyer, attorney. A family, yeah, family law, and say we're separating. We're going to live in the same house in separate bedrooms, and get that stated and declared. You should do that as early as possible, right? Yeah, and get your your get the information on what your entitlements might be. Because you can do financial settlements straight away. So it's best to be able to make sure you know what you're entitled to and then you can sort of start that process off. Um, particularly if you do um, end up sort of moving out, like if the man does move out or the woman, um, and you can do financial settlements so that everything's done 
um, you know, one may buy out the other one of the other, uh, the family home and, and so forth. But it's the divorce, it's the 12-month time frame. Okay, so you've said several times that um, to agree on, you know, you, most people want what's a fair, equitable split of what they have. Do you really believe that? I always find that, you know, both parties want a hell of a lot more than they're really entitled to. Yeah, because their emotions, they're making decisions emotionally and, and basically they're, if they're trying to get revenge or they're so angry with the, the partner they want to hurt them financially. So that's where it's best to know what your entitlements are. And if a lawyer says, you know, you can get 50% or a lawyer says, oh, well, you've got young children, you can get 70%, don't try to get more than what the law says that you're going to be entitled to because all that does is consume the, the money through fighting between the lawyers and you end up with far less anyway. Okay, so what are the five mistakes that stopped you from moving on or from stopped most people from moving on? Well, I'd have to say number one was self-sabotaging. For me, comfort eating was a killer. But it could be drinking, it could be gambling, it's any form of escapism really because a lot of people, we comfort ourselves, but it can be in very self And then I'd say number two is harboring or fostering resentment. Now resentment, that's just the poison pill that you take hoping the other person's going to die. But and unfortunately, it's you that dies bit by bit, day by day, right. every time you foster resentment. Right. Then number three, having a glass half empty attitude. For me, I only had the kids 50% of the time and I was always sad in the times I didn't have them instead of being happy for the times that I did. Yeah. So it's very important to sort of, this is where I was talking about the positive mindset earlier. Number four, I think being scared of getting hurt again. Like I didn't date for seven years because I was just too afraid of being wounded again. Mm. But all this did was just delay me finding love with someone special. So I, you know, I know you, you can't sort of uh, move on and start dating until you're ready, but don't be, don't be scared of getting hurt again because I can tell you from my experience, I did find love again and it was much, a much greater love than uh, the one I had with, with my husband for, for 19 years. So, you know, you're missing out if you, if you sort of hide yourself away and not put yourself back out there. And the last one I'd say is staying in the same house, in the same job. You're just shackled to your old life because with me, I stayed in my same house. I, I bought my husband out from the family home. Um, I didn't want too much change for the kids. They were going through enough. And I stayed in the same job. And... My husband worked at the same company, so all it did was just make me feel as though I was living in my old life just without having my husband and my children 50% of the time. So I just felt I was still shackled, as I said, to my old life. So you really need to move on and, and start a new life. And, like, I did that with the, um, the next relationship that I had. We were together nearly two years, and as soon as that broke up, I moved within weeks to a place where I've always wanted to live. I had to create a positive out of a negative situation because I was too scared of 
you know, falling back into depression again. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, this time round, it was going to definitely be a positive outcome. And as I say, I've got an amazing life. So, I'm, you know, I, I think it was the right thing I did. Okay, we're, we're nearly out of time. But one last question. With all these people coming in that are miserable and upset, and does that get you down? I mean, do you... No, I feel so empowered and pumped when I get off the phone from helping people. It's just, I just love it. I just feel that I can really help them and I just get so much um, enjoyment of being able to help them move forward and move on and create a better life. Because it's very, very sad when people are just paralyzed in this, you know, state of negativity and feeling that there's no hope for the future. Yeah. Um, you said that when you um, when you got divorced, you ate lots of chocolate and stuff as a, <laughs> as a, as a yes. sort of an escape or whatever. So did you get fat? I did get fat. So yeah. I put on 15 kilo, which is 15. like 33 pounds. But then... You know, after this, you know, after six years, when I realised I really needed to, you know, get a grip and get my life back and let go of my old life, then I went on a health regime and I lost um, 21 kilos, which is like 46 pounds. And I looked and felt, and still do look and feel better than I did even when I was married. You know, I often get, you know, people saying that, you know, I look so much younger than, you know, even when I was when I was married. So, you know, I, I just feel like I'm my best self now. That's great. Cheryl, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, to contact Cheryl, go to thedivorcetango.com. That's divorce, D-I-V-O-R-C-E, and tango as in the dance. So thedivorcetango.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show. Being heard on Voice America Business Network right across the world. From Hollywood Boulevard and the technology and entertainment capital of the world, Hollywood, California. That was an interesting interview about divorce. Um, I know, in fact, I'm trying to think of anybody I know that isn't divorced. There's not that many, not that many. And uh, so I I thought there was some good advice in that. You know, as as we spoke, I've I've been married six times and I didn't need a divorce coach. I got pretty good at it without. (laughs) But um, I can see where Cheryl could have helped me on a few occasions along the way. Anyway, now I know. Now, a new study by researchers at the University of Pennsylvania found that limiting one's social media usage 
to 30 minutes a day can lead to significant improvement in well-being. Specifically, less time scrolling through photos of friends and old high school acquaintances can lower depression and loneliness rates. I think, um, now this study, which was published in December's Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology, was one of the first to show a cause and effect relationship between social media usage and mental health issues. Most studies previously on the subject have shown only a correlation between the two. In the study, undergraduate students was tested over the course of two semesters. The students were either put into a group that was instructed to limit their social media usage on Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat to 30 minutes a day, or assigned to a control group where they were allowed to carry on with their normal social media habits. Now, after three weeks, the students were asked questions to assess their mental health across several different areas, including social support, fear of missing out, loneliness, autonomy and self-acceptance, anxiety, depression and self-esteem. The bottom line is that using less social media than you normally would leads to significant decreases in both depression and loneliness. These effects are particularly pronounced for folks who were more depressed when they came into the study. So do you find yourself scrolling through social media feeds while you're watching TV or while you're sitting on the train or sipping coffee in a cafe or even waiting in a doctor's surgery? Do you go online intentionally or is it just more out of habit, maybe boredom or just to satisfy the urge to remove those annoying ticks and notifications on your iPhones. While you're scrolling, do you habitually compare yourself and your life to other people's? Because you know that all their posts are bullshit as well. You read about women with perfect eyebrows, you look at Instagram pics and you like your friend's aesthetically pleasing bowl of oatmeal with blackberries. You read that your ex-boyfriend's just purchased a puppy with his new girlfriend. That's going to drive you fucking nuts and make you depressed and make you miserable. And you think everybody's got a better life than you. You get a delusional sense of normality and therefore you get insomnia, increased anxiety and depression. You consume irrelevant misinformation and mostly trivial crap. When you stop using social media, panic sets in. Will I feel lonely and disconnected? Will I miss an important event? I wonder what everybody else is doing. Did my old school friends go out last night? Did my second cousin sleep through the alarm? What did, you, what did my friend eat for breakfast today? You wonder about who you're connected with online and what do you hope to get out of these? What are you trying to prove to yourself and the world? that you have a good life, that you're worth befriending, that your photos and updates are worthy of likes? Do you need this constant external valuation? You know, I dumped Facebook a long time ago. I don't use it. We occasionally put up things about the show, but don't use it. Don't use Instagram. Don't use any of it. And now you're more relaxed, you sleep better, your productivity and attention span increases, your clarity of thought increases, it gives you the space that you need to stop obsessing and actually move on with your life. 
I think you should try and see what happens if you quit social media. They're compelling reasons to give it up or at least severely restrict it. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, you're going to be as boring as batshit. You don't know how interesting it can be and how amazing it can be if you're not ordinary. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday. We'll again be broadcasting from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile, have a great Thanksgiving. Drive carefully and continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.